Smith, I realized I think you tried to cue me for a, a small music cue there, and I missed it. Oh no, I was just my hands were just flailing. Uh, yes. you to, did to the drum feel part. The energy, of, for you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was just trying to get my, uh, you know, get my clash on. Yeah, well, <laughs> I like so, the movie. Movie. Welcome everybody. I, I know that I realize I, I I now realize that I did ultimately use Bone Tomahawk. Um, you know what though? I think that you I, found I way. Yeah, I think you found a way in and around. That I'm comfortable okay. with. I'm always good at uncomfortably getting in and around. <laughs> That's how I roll. Very good. Very good. Uh, well, welcome back to the show. Uh, you can find us everywhere on the internet at I Like Two Movie. It's Numeric Two. Facebook, Twitter. Uh, email us, I Like Two Movie at gmail.com. And this week, we are joined by our very good friend and now frequent collaborator everywhere at Cinema 76 here on I Like Two Movie Movie, Andy Elijah. Welcome to the show, buddy. <laughs> Great to be here, guys. Love you guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, happy to have you back. Oh, you know what, Andy? Don't patronize us. Okay. <laughs> no. That sounded so disinterested. <laughs> and I'm not having oh, it. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm very interested. I, yeah, guys. I thanks I for having me again. Movie, movie. <laughs> Maybe I'm Boom just trying time, to sound, I'm just trying to sound a little understated and, you know, something like that. Sorry. Just trying to play it cool. Like it's not, like, it's not a big deal, you know? Oh, Sorry, good. You are the coolest. A, I'm just playing. Devastating <laughs> I'm just sad. a normal guy on a normal podcast. No big deal. <laughs> Living my life. Yeah, I'm just a normal guy on a normal podcast. You have I'm not freaking out that I'm on a Bone podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I have no idea. But it's good to be here, guys. Uh, oh, it's, it's good to have thanks you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Of course. This is the uh, second George Romero film I've been here for. Well, what was the first? Remind me. I think the first was maybe not the first time I've ever been on the show, but the first uh, was Dawn of the Dead. We just okay, you did do that with yeah, us years so ago. Yeah. Back, I think that was in 2017. So yeah, so it's good Damn. to be here three years later with the crazies. Yeah. Oh, shit. sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that's good. That's that's People know what they're listening about. to. The episode is titled yeah. that. That is a good point. That is a good point. <laughs> so yes. Um, so to piggyback off of that, we uh, part of uh, the Halloween programming on Criterion Channel has been to pull out some really cool 1970s horror flicks. Yeah. And so there's a bunch uh, that, that it's it's a really great little program that they put up. I cannot um, recommend this in particular enough. This like yes. 70s collection on the Criterion channel. Tori and I like pulled it up just cuz we were like, "Oh, we just wanted to watch a movie on like a Sunday that we didn't have anything to do." Thinking like I always go to these things, you know, and I don't just mean on Criterion, but like every like every streaming service, I'm going through their collections all the time, and there's always like two movies that pique my interest, you know what I mean? And it was just every title I had either already seen it or was at the top of my I need to see this list. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Four movies in a row on a Sunday because of this collection. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but well, it's been a. Uh, there's been a lot of good stuff on it. So yeah, the crazies is is what we. Dan, what did you say? What did you say, Dan? What's up? What did you say? 
Oh, I just said that there's been you a lot of really good. It's been. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Ah, there you go. It's been. It's been fun to watch all the movies <laughs> on the service. It's been and, a good time. Uh, I'm yes, tired man. of losing my shirt. Yeah. In Chickadee, China, the Chinese, Chinese chicken. chicken. There used to be, you know, it's funny, on my other podcast, I literally said this sentence, but I'm going to say it again. There was a time in my life, I like to think of them as the golden years, where I could do all of the lyrics to both Bare Naked Ladies One Week and the Weird Al Yankovic, Jerry Springer-based parody. <laughs> I um, now it's a whole gobbledygook of both of them. Um, so it is Love what it, it. is. Uh, but yeah, back to horror movies. Or no, no, Garrett. Sorry. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the song uh, "Bad Touch" by yep. uh, Bloodhound Gang? Bloodhound Gang. Yo, uh, that album baby. is deceptively great. My my boy Ron Gallo knows every word to that song, and if, me too. If you can just like, if you give him a hint of that, like even that beat, it will just flow out of his body for the next four minutes. Every single lyric to that song. <laughs> I'm not saying we should do it, but I bet we could between the three of us, because I think I've got at least 99% of it. We should we should find a karaoke room when that's a, a thing that's acceptable to do again. Dude, I that's probably what I miss mo- even more than going to the movies. I miss uh-huh. karaoke. I have never been a karaoke person. I, I get highly embarrassed in karaoke situations, but uh, for the purposes of a trioed Bloodhound Gang attempt, I, I would. Yeah, you don't. If you're gonna share the stage with me in karaoke, I promise you that embarrassment is something that you will not have to carry on your shoulders <laughs> because I will wear that backpack proudly, sir. Yeah. I love karaoke, <laughs> and the more ridiculous I look doing it, the better. Yeah. The I, I know that I'm I... actually a decent rapper, so I'll often <laughs> pick a rap song. I can't write raps. That's funny. I don't do raps, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but listen, homies, when it comes time to recite raps that other people did. <laughs> I can rap. That's funny. Yeah. So I don't know who your favorite rap <laughs> stars are, but I like Jay's. I like Buster Rhymes. <laughs> and um, I can't think of another one to mispronounce. Buster Rhymes. That's funny. And oh. I like uh, uh, Char- <laughs> Charlemagne. <laughs> and uh, an M and M. M and M. I love M and M's. I like yeah. M and M's. Yeah. M and M. That the Bloodhound Gang. So the, I I had a truly traumatic experience as a an eighth grader um, when I went to the WHF festival where I'm from, which is in like uh, outside of DC in Maryland, and Bloodhound Gang played. This was May 2000, so like the Bad Touch was just still like all over the radio all the time, and I was like, I want to go to the the radio festival. You know, it's like one of those big catch-all rock festivals. The Bloodhound yeah. Gang played my, and you know I didn't really have any going to go with. So my mom took me. Yeah, you know, thanks, thanks, mom. Uh, the Bloodhound Gang played. Pretty cool, mom. Brought, <laughs> yeah, and they brought and like you know before they play, they brought out like you know like like basically twenty strippers <laughs> and just emblazoned in golden bikinis, and it was just. I've just never. Been, I mean, it was just god awful. You know what I mean? It's just I, the uh, worst thing that could ever happen to puberty. Is yeah, with your mom there. To, yes, right? Exactly. Like she didn't just drop you off. She was like there. Yeah, she to was witness there this alongside me. of you. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I, I. Now my mom was not with me for this experience, but uh, in a unfortunately similar circumstance, I, I went to see. Do you guys know the rapper Cool Keith? Yeah. You guys know oh, yeah. Cool Keith from the nineties? Dude, I've seen Cool Keith. So I have too, because 
He came to Philadelphia under the name Dr. Octagon one time. He made one album one well, eventually made another Dude, one, but like I think we were at the same show. Was it at like what was that place called? Like this it was like an old roller rink, like the Starland or yeah. something? Yeah, oh, yeah. Starland Starland Ballroom. Ballroom. on okay. Ninth Street. Yes. So Not he, Starland Ballroom. Um, it, it was it Starlight? Starlight called Starland North Ninth Jersey. Street across from uh, it's like Spring Garden and Ninth Street. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's where he, it was. He comes there under the name Doctor Octagon. I go because he's billing himself as Doctor Octagon. He made this one great album. Again, eventually later made another, one, but this one great album under the name Doctor Octagon. So mm-hmm. I go. I get tickets with a buddy of mine. We go. There were a couple opening acts that were good. I remember them and enjoying them. And then there was I'm not kidding. I think it was a full two hour wait between like the the like whatever the last opening act was and him finally coming on stage and when he finally came on stage all he did were cool keith songs he did he did one dr octagon song and then immediately did it again and yelled remix and the remix is the exact same song with a slightly different uh you know beat behind it uh so he did one dr octagon song twice and throughout the entirety of that dr octagon song he just threw panties out to the audience. He had a bag full of panties. And he just He's doing it all backwards. Panties the panties out. are supposed to get thrown at the stage, yeah. and remixes happen after they've been recorded. Yes. We were definitely at the same show, dude. Am I describing an exact event that you went to? Because I remember having that thought when he was like, now we're doing a remix. I was like, this is not, that's not what a remix is. Yeah. Like, a remix is you take the mix which is game, set, match, recorded. You run it through the boards and you you have some fun with it. I was like, you're just saying the same words to a different beat. Yes. That's not a (laughs) real... It was insane. It was the the worst concert I've ever been to, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) It was not great, yeah. That was... uh, But you drove a while to get there, huh, Garrett? No, no, I was in Philly at the time. This was like uh, one of my first years of college. I see. Yeah, Yeah. this was... I mean, I would say this wasn't that long ago. This is, of course, relative. I know. It was like over 10 years ago now, I would think. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Andy, I just want to jump off your embarrassing mom story and just, uh, I think a lot of movie people understand this. Do you have a movie that your mom walked in while you were watching and you were like, you walked in at the worst part? Yes. I have the king of that. Example. Yep. I was watching Bride of Chucky for the first <laughs> time and my mom walked in right as the Tiffany dolls giving birth. And my mom just walks in the room. She's like, what the hell are you watching? And I'm like, Mom, we actually don't have the time for me to get you to this point and understand what's happening. You're just going to have to trust me that this is okay. Do you have any of those, Andy? I can't really remember. Like, I, I feel like my mom kind of let me watch what I, you know, like. I, I can still my hear my mom. Overs. She was a yeah. guest. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. My mom just, I don't know. It wasn't really. I, have, I if there if that did happen, I don't have a memory of it. I wish I did. I have a very specific memory of wanting to see American Pie when it came out in theaters because all of my friends were going to see it and me not being allowed because I was not allowed to go see a rated R movie. Uh, and then it finally coming out on video and knowing that at my one friend's house, his parents would definitely fucking let us rent that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like it finally coming out on video, us renting the movie putting it on, having a great time, and then the scene that in retrospect is absolutely the worst scene in the movie and she would have had every right to be mad about 
when they are filming the topless girl in <laughs> bedroom. Yeah, they're and, secretly filming her for shit oh gigs. <laughs> as soon as there's boobs on the screen, the door swings open. His mom comes in. We're trying to pause a VHS of this movie. And so it's like a VHS. So it's just sort of like freezing on like, you know, what are now like two frames of boobs shaking back and forth. With like a bunch of like scribbled lines over top of them, you know. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, so VHS. Yeah. Ah, and how so would you even explain that too? If she was like, "What is happening?" Be like, "It's actually, it's not pornographic. It's just funny." Well, right. what's funny about it? Right. Well, what's funny is that she doesn't know that she's being filmed. <laughs> so what's funny about that? Right. Well, like well, she like, just thinks culture, that she's Mom, just privately like, with him, yeah. but it's broadcasting on the internet. Yes. Yeah. It's, hila- it's hilar- hilarious. Mom, right. <laughs> mom, why are you turning? Mom, it's Don't funny the tape, mom. because as a society, we hate women, mom. Yeah. It's really funny. But it is wild that there's some sort of mom radar for like the moment <laughs> that's happening. You know what I mean? They yeah. always know. Yeah. They're like, uh, what you doing in there? You're like, I'm uh, not, not, not mas- masturbating. Oh, fuck. I'm uh, uh, <laughs> just doing ge- geography. It, well, yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like with me, like my mom. My mom, I think, knew most of the time when something was going down or something was going on, but she sort of, like, never really, like, confronted me about... She she wasn't the type of person to, like, barge in. She would just yeah. sort of, like, know what happened, and then, like, later on, she'd be like, so, you know? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Oh, my God, you knew that? I didn't know you knew that. I thought I got away with it. See, my mom would do things where she would just, like, drop a hint that she caught something or... You know, that I was up to no good. She, I was never confronted about it. I was never caught doing anything bad outright. But when she would just every once in a while throw like a sly thing that I'd be like, mom just threw a little shade at me. And <laughs> yeah. it was knowing shade. And it yeah, was effective, yeah. though, because it was, you know, I rag a lot of my parents because they're old and insane now. <laughs> but they were really cool in that respect. Yeah. That it's like. Their their style of parenting when I started to become an adult and started acting out or acting up or just being an adult, you know, was very much one of just like, I don't want to know about it, so you better be careful. <laughs> I'm watching and, you. Yeah, yeah, like, I know I don't need to know more, but if this causes trouble, don't think I didn't know. <laughs> you know like, and it was all just unspoken and it worked, you know? I, I got to give my mom a lot of credit for the movie watching that she did alongside me, the way that her house was set up, the only computer that we owned for many years, because we're of the generation, uh, folks, where there was a computer <laughs> in the house. Yep. It was the in a computer and it was in a common space a in the house. Man. Yeah. Aww. So <laughs> ours was in the room that I was usually watching movies in. That was all one room that had like a TV and a couch and then a desk that my mom would sit. And so. Well, my mom was playing her solitaires for four hours at a time, and I was trying to, like, get a fight club in. Mom was kind of also having to watch fight club in the background, you know? That's so funny. Yeah, my mom, like, I think does not like a lot of uh, probably the same kinds of movies I like. So (laughs) Your mom doesn't take Videodrome? Right, yeah. (laughs) Bye, mama's Videodrome. (laughs) I give my mom a lot of credit for having to, like, have to, like, basically listen to Kevin Smith's movies constantly, like, run in the background while she was, like, you know, playing games. Oh, I'm trying to think of what what the ultimate Kevin Smith line for a mom to overhear would be. And I think I am the clit commander is the one that's that's popping in my head. Yes, like, yeah, that was definitely like a thing that I had to be like, no, mom, look, I know these are bad things. I shouldn't say these things. They're funny for me to listen to when this fat man says them. Just leave me alone. I remember one time 
I, it was I rented Austin Powers for the second time. Yeah. And so it was a movie that I like kind of knew. And so I had it playing and my mom was like milling around in the background. And I was like, oh, I don't know if she's going to because like in 1997, I was 13. So it was right on the cusp of like certain things she would still see me as a kid at. But like she knew I was into movies. But the scene where they <laughs> the scene where they first unfreeze him and he pees forever. <laughs> that was like the funniest thing for me. And so I'm like stifling laughter because my mom's behind me. Yeah. And I don't want to laugh at that because I think she's going to be mad at that. And then midway through it, I hear her snicker a little bit at it. When he like stops peeing and starts peeing again. And then it was like off to the races. That was yeah. a good mom moment. Yeah. It's like it won her over. I knew it was, she was going to be uptight. But the pee... No oh, my, I, the I haven't seen that movie in like 20 years but i just know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> Remember yes. this? I, I feel like those first two movies like really introduced our people our age to like it was like bodily okay guys bodily functions bodily humor here you go here's a crash course on sex and pee and poop <laughs> boom here we go and like and yeah like, you'll never forget it you know this is your yeah. sex ed basically yeah Yep. I also I think those movies were like a nice introduction to absurdist humor for me. Like as far as I remember, mm -hmm. like I, I remember <laughs> enjoying yeah. the the absurd jokes in that movie. And I, I don't know if I don't know if I got like the absurd jokes in like Blazing Saddles when I was seeing it too young. Oh, but no, I, yeah. you know what I mean? Like But it's like Austin Powers dissolves from being a James Bond parody like pretty quickly. Yeah. And it still holds on to everything it needs to to be a James Bond parody. But like, yeah, there's like a lot of like, remember the gag where they're all looking up at the penis in the sky and they never actually say it, though, and it keeps cutting away? Like, that was a joke format that was so brand new yeah. and it seemed so absurd and off the wall in the format of, like, how you could do a movie. And it's funny to just think about, you know, Austin Powers, too, as being revolutionary in a way, at least in my experience. With right. Well, like, I remember the gag where he's trying to pull the, like, it's like a big bulldozer steamroller thing out of a tiny hallway. And he's just going back and forth trying to cater in a tiny and hallway. And the key's in the, in the shift, because he's got to... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it just, it goes on for so... And I remember finding it very funny that it went on for so long. And that's, like, that is pure absurd stupidity that, yeah. it, that goes beyond, like, poopy and farts and, like, you know what I mean? Like, it... <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like that movie did kind of introduce me to some of that that kind of humor that I would really love for the rest of my life, you know? Dude, to this day, I've had people refer to when they're turning their car as doing, like, an Austin Powers move. Like, they'll reference that idea, yeah. trying to, like, park in. Uh, like, that's an iconic thing. Yeah. I think the most of... I, I hate that we're just going to be giving gags from Austin Powers, but <laughs> I got to get this out. I believe it's in the second one. He's, like, sneaking into a base... And this blew my mind as a kid because it goes into a level of, of weird absurd that I can't explain. I'm going to try to explain it. <laughs> but he hides behind a statue that's in the middle of a fountain. And the security guard looks, and he can't see him because he's hiding behind the statue. And uh, once again, he's peeing so that he can match the fountain of the statue. And so the guard like looks up, and he just sees the statue. The statue's peeing, and then he looks back down. And then for no reason whatsoever... Austin Powers takes a bite of asparagus that he has, <laughs> and then the guard's head pops up because he smells it. He smells the pee, because <laughs> asparagus makes you pee. And as soon as he looks up, Austin Powers just throws down the asparagus and continues to pee silently. And it's like, <laughs> what 
world. Yeah. <laughs> like the, 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 why the asparagus? Yeah. But it's for <laughs> that joke that it makes his pee smell and the guy yeah. reacts and it's just, it's pure insanity. But that is a, that is brilliant. Yeah. Just brilliant. And so that leads us perfectly into our movie for the week, Hubie Halloween. <laughs> yeah. transition. If I could describe the humor of Austin Powers in one word, it would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I could describe it in two words, it would be the crazies. Yeah. And if I could describe it in four words in a letter... I would say George A. Romero's The Craziest. <laughs> Let's or get into it. Describe it in three words. It would be Codename Trixie. Yes. Which Ooh, on the Criterion a... Channel, that's the title. Yes. That was the second time that happened. Uh, Death Dream, which I watched yeah. in that same thing, had a different title. I, I, it escaped Dead me at the night. moment. Dead of Night. That's it. I, I Oh, that is one of my favorite things about specifically movies from the 1970s yeah. is they all have one title that's just like you know awesome cop and then the other one's just like you know by the night of the moon was the cat it's so weird i do not understand what I think is interesting about it is it's, you know, I think it mostly stems from selling these things, right? So, like, the, what, what happens is, like, we are seeing the best restoration they could make of the crazies, right? And so the best restoration they could make of the crazies was from a print that had its original title on it. So yeah. when we see it, we see it with that original title. But what it definitely means is that, like, after that first run in the theater, to sell that, to make more money off that movie... They retitled it The Crazies because they thought that was a more sellable title. And that mm -hmm. became and it a is. sort of like official canonical title of that movie. Even though if you were seeing it in 1970, when did this movie come out? Uh, 1973. Uh, it probably was Codename Trixie, you know? Yeah. That's really, and, and uh, that happens at Exhumed Films Festival yeah. all the time. Like, I feel like half the movies they show when you enter them in like letterboxd after you watch them they have a completely different title but it's just, what but was that's the exactly one... what it is it's really fun i forget whether the real title or the title we got was the zebra killer but oh, it yeah. had like the crazy alternate name or actually i think the zebra killer was the crazy alternate alternate name but that reads to me like if we call it the zebra killer people that puts asses in seats kowalski let's do it yeah hold on i'm looking it up cuz it did have a really uh crazy name andy i'm looking at this picture behind you is that like some pencil art of michael myers okay you seeing that on his wall oh what is, is that? that michael myers no that one guy on the far right looks like michael myers but i'm afraid that it's like something much nicer and less sinister and i'm going to be insulting by saying that it's michael myers I see what you mean now, you know actually. And now I can't unsee it. Yeah. Like that, the one on the right looks like his face. The one in the middle, it looks like he's like choking a guy. Yeah. Bottom left is a dude waking up in bed, probably about to be murdered by Michael Myers. Hold on. Okay. Then, so I, I found the movie we we're talking about, Dan, but it has so many. T I have to find the part of the page where it gives me all the freaking titles. Okay. Because none of these. Was the oh, one, we, saw it, what it was we saw it under the title Combat Cops. Combat Cops! Yeah. Yeah, Remember? that's insane. Yeah. And the, wow. and the title that INDB has this movie by is The Get Man. The Get Man. The Get Man. 
they, but yeah, they the original all speak to a different movie, but they also all perfectly fit that movie. Yeah, and yeah, okay, so this is interesting in the also known as, and it's like who knows when these titles got given to this movie, but the original is the Zebra Killer. The Zebra Killer. The reissue title is Combat Cops. <laughs> yeah, so Combat that, Cops. That's definitely the Grindhouse era re-release. You know what yeah, I mean? That's the Super Cops. But then there's USA new title, The Get Man. The Get Man. Not, you know, that's probably means that like in 2000, some DVD company bought this movie and put a new title on it to try and like, you know, sell it or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. It, you're right, though. It really is a marketing thing when those things change. Yeah. And like, nah, we're going to call it Explosion Cop now. Right, Andy, right. I have to ask, you stepped away. There's like a drawing or yeah. something on your wall. We're trying to figure out what it is because the guy on the far right in it looks like Michael Myers. Um, those are drawings of my, but I think that they came from my grandparents. They're just these like weird, not weird. Um, they're just interesting uh, like paintings of people playing music. Just oh, so they cool. Playing instruments. That's all it is. I, they, they came from my grandparents, I think, and they were in my childhood home for like many years. And then when I moved up to Philly, I was just like, I need some wall art. Boom. These are mine now. Well, just it's a like cool piece know. of art. And I like what it is so much better than what I thought it was based on the far to the right face. You thought it was like a weird Michael Myers. The, the like, face on the far right just kind of looks Michael Myersy, And then the rest is hard to see in a, in a Skype screen. These but, are, uh, it's also the site that you see uh, when I'm on like Zoom calls for work. So, so I oh, feel cool. like it's like, oh, this is just a very unique. It's interesting enough, but not so interesting <laughs> that it gets you distracted. All right. I mean, <laughs> it distracted us from the podcast pretty hardcore. <laughs> so I'd say it's pretty interesting. I feel it like works. at this point, anybody listening cool. is like, I thought they were ramping up to talk about the crazies, and we <laughs> ramped right back down. Yep. The crazies. Uh, Let's talk about the crazies. Yeah. So I. I was uh, I was so impressed. Okay, so we turned this was the first movie we decided to watch in this collection. So it's like 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, I've never seen this movie. I never saw the remake either, so I don't know anything about it or what it's about. I just know it's a George Romero movie. I was like, let's start there. So 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on a Sunday, where I'm just trying to relax with my partner, we end up watching a movie literally about a pandemic in a small town and how the military <laughs> fails to respond appropriately. I was like, oh shit. So I have a question for you because this was my first time watching this one but i have seen the remake yeah and the remake leans really heavily into deriving fear from the actual virus itself yes whereas this one seems much more focused on the tension between the town and the military yes and and as well as like the bureaucracy in between which will be fun to get into yeah i'm very curious as to your understanding of the virus itself having just seen the original because I was watching it and I was going, I think I might be missing things if I wasn't filling them in already uh, That's in regards to the virus. Yeah. Cause like I really took the virus as I, I don't even know because I, I, the movie I don't think gives you a clear sort of, I, I it seems to affect different people in different ways, mm-hmm. I would say. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe it's bringing out some sort of base instinct in different people. And so since that base instinct might be different for different people, it brings out different kind of behavior. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed, but I also eventually started to question, like, uh, and maybe this is nuts, but I eventually started to question, like, is the virus a thing that does anything at all? 
Or is right. this yeah. movie about the madness that befalls people once under martial law? Yeah, once right. everyone gets the crazies. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's because uh, that was what was weird is coming out of this, I was like, what I really, one of the things I was so impressed by watching this version of it after the remake yeah. is that as I was putting it together, I was going, I think this disease works differently and like almost isn't the focus of, of you know, it's not really a plot driver. Right. Um, you know, it's just kind of flavor to it. And so I, I kind of liked how, I, I like how you said it, how you think it affects everybody differently. Yeah, yeah. Because it, uh, did we just lose Andy? No, he's still here, I think. Well, okay. we did lose him. I'm sure he'll pop back in. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to lose listeners. this train. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, like it's it's here not it. used to drive the plot forward or anything. It's, yeah. you know, it could be anything. And I, and I agree that by the end, it's like, I don't even know if it's actually a thing. This right. could be mass panic. Whereas the remake is very... If I remember correctly, I've seen it once. It was a while ago. Was very much about like this person's infected with the thing, yeah. And yeah. now they are going to have these symptoms of the thing, and we better run because yes. they're going to hurt us. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I found again, it's probably partially because I'm living in a pandemic right now. One of the frustrations of this movie was that. I felt like people kept making a lot of close contact and probably infecting each other and not worrying about it enough. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Oh, the it, scenes of everybody packed in the gym. Yeah. You know, actually watching any movie now, this is weird how quickly it's happened. Yeah. I'll see like a gathering of people in a movie and it'll, it like feels abnormal. Yes. And so to see it heightened, like those gym scenes where everyone was together, I was sitting at home, like pulling my shirt over my mouth. Like, Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's so I don't like I, that. That's something that I think now. I know. I know. But, uh, you know, <sighs> I, I, I don't like it. But I also I it's starting to become clear it might be a necessary adaptation I have to make in my life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I hope that's not the case ultimately, but I'm I'm <laughs> I'm starting to prepare my brain for that. You know, uh, Jenna said it best the other day. It's really weird. We, we approach this whole thing from a point of view of like, oh, how can we live with it? Yeah. Rather than how can we beat it? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But uh, yeah, sorry. I mean, no, it's okay. I honestly, I think we're probably going to swing back to that a lot over the course yeah. of talking about this movie. And yeah. I think it's it's kind of why I wanted to talk about this. Like after I watched it this week, I was like, it's kind of a perfect movie to talk about right now, um, because yeah, I choice. well, and I agree with you, Dan. And, and actually, I just did a little Wikipediaing before this that we can talk about in a minute that I think backs up what we both are saying, which is. This movie in particular, the real focus is not the virus, it's the military takeover yeah. of the town mm -hmm. and what that does to the people in the town and how they react to that and how it affects them and how the people in the chain of military command are affected by that chain of command. Like mm -hmm. how they operate within it and how it affects their decision making that they are part of this chain of command where each individual only knows certain pieces of information at certain times, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, oh, I was getting strong Shin Godzilla vibes. Yeah, yeah. When the guys were all bickering at one another, I was like, this is Shin Godzilla and some Doctor Strangelove. Yep. And I, and I saw a lot of shades of Day of the Dead. But, yes, uh, yes. Agreed. Yeah, it's that... That's so compelling to watch, and it's so frustrating because it just feels so truthful now. I and I feel like that that's, I mean, you know, Romero is not, uh, he's not known for being subtle about about his themes. So for, to, for him to have, like, predicted 
you know, the, the downfalls of our bureaucratic response to this kind of thing is really on, on brand. It was like, I was, I was really expecting for this movie to resonate like that. And it did. Yeah, I know. I like, I didn't even realize that's what this movie was about. Yeah, same. I had no idea until it started, and I was like, oh, boy, this is like... I actually, for a little bit, was like, this is going to be tough for me, you know? Mm-hmm. But but then it just... It, I got wrapped up in it so quickly. Like, I, I think something Romero is good at is giving us, like, pretty interesting characters to spend a movie with. He's. I made a note. He's good with an ensemble. Yeah. And... It's a and that's a really good way to do a bureaucracy movie because you have to have different large groups to check in with. Yes, yeah. I, I avoided this movie for a long time just because I in my head it just always registered as like, okay, this is like a zombie movie on a military base. Right. And you know, it's not that at all. It's not <laughs> right. a zombie movie. Right. No, I know. And it it, it I man, I so here's the thing I wanted to talk about, actually, that I, I will uh, uh, give you here that is related to this, which is so this is based on like a script that was written by a guy named Paul McCullough. And okay. the script was called The Mad People. And it dealt with a military bioweapon accident released in a small town. That premise is there. But apparently that was like the first act of the movie. And then the rest of the script was focused on the survivors and their attempts to cope with it. Right. So it actually it sounds like maybe to some extent a little more like what the remake ended up being like a little more focused on like the virus itself and how it affects people and and what happens there. But uh, Romero read that script, liked the script, but thought the military part was the most interesting part. And Mm -hmm. so did the producer that wanted him to make it. And so they basically had Romero rewrite the movie and the movie became much more focused on what happens when a town is taken over by the military than it does on the virus that sort of causes all of this to happen. That's uh, awesome. So it's yeah. funny because the, for the, and once again, I could be speaking out of my ass here because it's been a while, yeah. but I think my memory is correct on it for the remake to go the other way with it. Yes. Uh, very much speaks of the time because when that came out, that was sort of in the, the heat of the zombie, the zombie moment. Right. Yeah, right. That's true. I forgot that 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 movie's like 2010 or something, right? Uh, something like that. It's got Tom Elephants in it. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I would watch it just because he's in it. I I remember it. I remember it being like pretty decent. Um. Yeah, it's uh 2010. Okay, right. So yeah, that I mean that is like, that's like uh. 28 days later era of just like everything is, is kind of a crazy zombie movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, we still have, holy sh- wait a minute. That's not of the 28 days later era. Do you remember when 28 days later came out? No. When did that movie come out? <coughs> 18 years ago. W- wait, what? 2002. That's, that is <laughs> wild. Yeah. I, I just got, I couldn't ooh, have that imagined rocks. that movie coming out sooner than 2005. I thought that's what you were going to say. Yeah. That's Wow. Oh man, and That's... 28 weeks letter was was 2007. But that I think that still speaks to it because the zombie yeah. thing was a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know they're still spinning off The Walking Dead, so it's like it's still <laughs> happening. But like there was a thing where there was a look and a feel to zombies. Yes. And you know, like I said, caused me to dismiss this movie because I had seen the remake. Yeah. And uh, but oh, there he is. I'm back. Sorry guys, my That's iPad right. was running out of batteries. So That's okay. Here I am. Glad to have you back. You didn't miss much. You're good. Yeah. Good. I, I figured there the you guys wouldn't talk about anything. While was, you know that was interesting while I was gone. So. 
we both just sat there and we went, uh, and we tried to harmonize the entire time. We were going. That's right. Never once did we get close. Yeah. Well, it's atonal, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's right. But I think, you know, what I really like about, and can you guys, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, so what I really like about this movie, I, I pulled up this article that I found that, and, and I apologize if this is a rough transition, but so it says um, this article, it's called. Um, whoa, whoa. Just yank the e-brake there. <laughs> no, you're kidding. It, it's an article written by a guy named Patrick Wyman. He's like a guy I found on Twitter, some kind of like a political theorist type guy. And it's called Imperial Wars Always Come Home. And so it's basically this idea that like, I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. Um, so he says like, basically the idea behind this article is that, you know, imperial wars never stay overseas. They always come home sooner or later. So basically like here we are, you know, America in the 1970s, Vietnam, you could arguably say it was a war of the American empire, basically like just mm -hmm. trying to sort of, spread you know capitalism or more like fight off communism over from spreading overseas the whole domino effect theory and here so we're doing that overseas so it would make perfect sense that we would you know it's only going to be so long before something like that basically just comes home more or less just like a totally fear-driven way to deal with any kind of problem just mm -hmm. assuming the worst assuming an enemy assuming you know everything is just just you know violence is the number one solution basically mm -hmm. um and i i feel like you know it kind of reminds this article was written about uh what was going on in portland this summer with like the department of homeland security kind of like starting to abduct people and doing all kinds of basically it's like war every single night on the streets of portland even though we like aren't really paying attention anymore mm -hmm. but, it, but someone it kinda, think of the coffee shops <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of reminded me of this movie i guess like yeah like, oh, yeah, dude. This, this is the case All of the war coming home looks like this yeah, yeah. exactly yeah yeah it, i know i i couldn't stop thinking about just like the last six months while watching this movie because I mean, we, we had National Guard in Philly for right. a couple of weeks. Yep. Like, mm -hmm. I remember being in my house, like, wondering how close that was getting to me. And not just, you know, uh, protests were happening, but it wasn't that that I was afraid of. It was like this militarized response to that. That it was crazy be... how easy it was to get used to hearing helicopters yes. pretty much all day, every day for about two and a half weeks. Yeah. It, and and yeah, I mean, so this movie, like, it really hit me in like a, a, a pretty, I don't know, strange way, I guess, because I think had I watched this movie before this year, I would have, I don't know, approached it from some sort of like intellectual, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, oh, how interesting that he's like dissecting the response to martial law and now it's just like i have a very emotional response to this movie yeah. where i can really relate to the things that happen in this movie and they are very scary and I, and i don't even really have like an intellectual response to them beyond just like yeah this shit is fucked like this is martial law just doesn't make sense at face value because it, it can't there, there's just nothing that's an agreement to the only I, I think I wrote on Letterboxd some of the effect of like martial law only 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 can only help the quote unquote the marshals like the yeah. people that are enforcing that law. That's the only people that that's beneficial to are the people enforcing it.
the scene, I guess towards the towards the end, uh, it was the cl- it was the closest I came to having like a physical reaction to the movie. Yeah. Was when the surly scientist who is incredible in this movie, by the <laughs> oh, way, yeah. like incredible, his tiny little arms and his big theatrical voice. He, um, do you guys when he but... drops the samples because the the soldiers are trying to strong arm him? <laughs> yes, that was. That was like some ass clench shit, man. That that's <laughs> that's a really tense moment. And I was watching. I was going, "This happened a hundred times last month in the real world. <laughs> this is insane." Yeah, so many scientists walking around with their two vials of yeah. uh, solution just dangling about as they run around. That was very really funny to me. But do you guys but recall- at the same time would you doubt it if a video right. got released of like? You know, just a Trump scientist, just like I've yeah. got the samples, leader. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it all makes so much sense. Do you guys recall that that actor is? Uh, he's from Dawn of the Dead, right? Yes. He has an eye patch in that movie, and he's <laughs> like he, uh, he's like the guy that they're constantly cutting back to, like on TV, describing like what's <laughs> happening around him. Yeah, yeah he is yeah. like an orator, man. He can yeah. just Tremendous. he can just throw those words. He just hurls his words with authority. Yeah, he's probably got a theatrical background. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. He's he's played King Lear, right? <laughs> even as a young man, he's done it. Yeah, yeah it's a like, uh, go. Like, go ahead. I'm sorry. There's like there's the the scenes towards the end where the um what should we call him the angry member of the group the guy that's like pretty prone to violence like was he the one who was an ex Green Beret or was that the main character I think the main character is ex military okay cool yeah no I think yeah I think the main character and him are both ex military oh they both are that might be true yeah, yeah. and he's like clearly PTSD yeah. Because I yes. want to talk about the the Vietnam stuff. Because watching these movies from the seventies, they like all have a response to it. Yeah, and it's very interesting how that all intersects. Well, I thought it was interesting. The thing that was like very uh, that where that got me was he he started saying, "Do you think I have the bug? I have the bug. I think I have the bug." And uh, I don't know. That was very weird to witness again, like right mm. now, where it's mm. like, oh, that's like a legitimate fear that I have had over the last six months. You know. Mm-hmm. expressed in this very like uh high panic uh situation you know um and then also i think that that character is is maybe the clearest um version of what i was saying before where it's like i do wonder if the if if nothing is happening to these people and just like the, the, this guy is kind of a violent guy and his response to a lot of things is violence and this bug is either an excuse for him to be violent and, or just like, this is how he reacts when put under this kind of pressure because violence mm-hmm. is what he knows and how he responds to things, you know, mm-hmm. just want to really quickly chime in before, before we get too far away from this. So I looked up, um, the guy's name is Richard France and oh, he's yeah. the guy who plays the doctor. He's an American playwright, an author and a film and drama critic. And he is a recognized authority on the stage work of Orson Welles. And it makes that so makes sense. perfect sense. He's, he's doing Orson Welles in this movie. He's yeah. doing Orson Welles the whole time. That's, so. I feel like Orson Welles, and I'm not going to be able to do it, though. Like, this guy's very authoritative. Exactly. Orson, yeah. Orson Welles is a little bit more devious. You know, like, he's got, like, yeah, the yeah. devious about it. I don't know. I yeah. can't do it. But, yeah, yeah I love when, like, and then funny. he just gets pulled into this, like, it's like grindhouse b movie cinema but he's still like doing orson wells like you know for the for the grindhouse b cinema it's perfect that's when grindhouse shit really shines though is when they just like 
they just get someone who is unafraid to go to 10 like that. Like that guy clearly knows what he's doing. He's clearly a tremendous actor. And yeah. they're like, we want you to be the biggest doctor you can be for this. Right. Is, like, be difficult and be right. And then, yeah. <laughs> boom. That's incredible. Yeah. Crank it up to 11. We'll pump you back if it's too much. Go crazy. Well, did that, you guys... So yeah. Did you guys find that? And I don't. Maybe maybe this is me in particular because I did grow up in Pennsylvania. I don't. I don't think either of you guys grew up in PA. Did you? Did not. No. no. Right. Jersey. So, but but so you were Jersey, right, Dan? Were you Maryland? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in Maryland. Yeah. So, so, uh, so tri-state well, area. Yeah, I mean, tri-state area. Both of those states look kind of similar uh, to. But uh, you know. I had like cousins that lived further into, you know, what they call Pennsylvania, like a little more center Pennsylvania. So like one of the things that is so relatable to me about all of the Romero movies I've seen, because pretty much all of them take place in and around Pittsburgh is like, this looks like my backyard basically. Yeah. And so it's like, it's that, it is that much more scary and relatable as I'm watching this movie where it's like this, this is what it looked like where I grew up, you know, like this is as close a depiction to, the chaos that I currently found myself under as you could like possibly imagine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I, I love that about this movie. Um, it is, and you're growing up in like outside of DC. So yeah, it doesn't look like my backyard at all. However, but my, a lot of my, my grandmother was raised in Coldale, Pennsylvania, mm. which is, you know, basically close to like Jim Thorpe. And yeah. so we, we would go there, uh, you know, like we, once or twice a year, we would go to family reunions in Coldale, PA. So in the mountains, so a little bit different than this. But like Evan City is where the there's a zombie museum there. That's where the yeah. whole uh, um, that's where the graveyard and the Night of the Living Dead is. So on my uh, way back, okay. a couple of days after the 2016 election, I was coming back from a conference in Ohio and I, I stopped at that at that graveyard to just check it out. Um, that's cool. And. And yeah, it's just such a, it's such a, it's like very, I love that about these movies that they're so, and I wonder if like by being so Pennsylvanian, they're also like so American in a certain kind of way. Sure. Just, just the very middle ground, just neutral, like American gray, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just, just standing in for just a little bit of everything. Yeah. Where, yep. where I grew up in Jersey looked like a slightly more urbanized version of that. Um, yeah. Less so now. Now it's yes. all just <laughs> highways and byways. But um, yeah, that's something that I feel like you only get from a Romero movie. Yeah. You know, he represents. You know, he, he's Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh proud. Uh-huh. And uh, you know what? I would kill to watch Land of the Dead right now. I feel like that probably resonates. Ooh, yeah. Very I, similar I, yeah. to this. You know I what I'm saying? Watched it a couple months ago, and yeah, it, it holds up so well. The rich man. just holding up in towers while everyone else. It's perfect. As yeah. depicted by uh, um, Dennis Hopper uh, doing what I feel like now would very easily re- uh, relate to a Trumpian type of uh, character. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got his own tower. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's just like he may as yeah. well be Trump. Yeah. That's so insane. Yeah. They've been basing this... villains off of Trump since 1980, what, 1988. I know. That's I, Biff, I, baby. I forget what I was listening. Yeah, I forget what I was listening to. It might, I think it was. I think I was listening to screen drafts. They were talking about Back to the Future 2. No, I was listening to, um, uh, what's it called? Blank Check. They were just talking about Back to the Future 2 because they're doing all Zemeckis' movies right now. Ooh, I got to give that a listen. And as they're talking about Back to the Future 2, they're talking about the fact that the the alternate timeline Biff is clearly based on Trump. And Griffin brings up that, like, since the 80s, 
Trump has been the go-to joke of the most dipshit villain you could possibly be. And there's now 50% of the country that's like, that's my man. Like, he has, li- yeah. he was so much an obvious punchline. So yeah. much an obvious idiot uh, what's his shit name? punchline. Mulaney has the great joke about how Trump is what, like, like a... Uh, you know, like like you're like a stereotypical one of you know homeless man would think of as rich, just like I'm gonna make a million dollars and my name will be on the building and I'll have hair made of gold. And it's, like... yeah. <laughs> and it's just like it's crazy that like half the population doesn't realize what a yeah. joke they've become by aligning themselves with that character. You know, it's like it's wild. I so just, the real joke is on us. Jeez. Yeah, Christ. I know. I finished reading of the uh, the Brett Easton Ellis's little memoirs thing, uh-huh. and he talks about how people always ask him, like, "Well, now that Trump's a thing, like, what's you know what what's Patrick Bateman think about this?" Yeah. And he was like, "Cause yeah, he's like, I think I mentioned Donald Trump's name like, you know, for, 42 times in the book. Mm-hmm. He's like, it, he's his personal hero, <laughs> and like, it's crazy to think that this this you know <laughs> that this guy who at least in the the realm of the book, is psycho enough to imagine these things. His hero is exactly this buffoon that, yeah. you know, it was just a very interesting dissection of it that, that he yeah. mentioned, in it. but in the same vein of like, yeah, man, he's the default villain for a long time, and now he's the leader of the free world. Yeah. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, since we're talking about this, in the crazies, do we ever see the face of the president? Or do I recall no. that he's no. like not facing the camera, right? Just in the I back a, of his yeah. head. I was I was thinking about that. I have a note about that. And the question is, was at the back of his head an aesthetic choice where it's just like, yeah, we don't want to have him look or sound or be anything like any actual president. So this may right. be timeless. Right. Um, or was it speaking to like this whole bureaucracy thing? He does not need to be seen on camera. Right. Confirming or denying anything. He does not need to look at these people. It needs to be completely separate because if this all goes to shit, he's still got to be able to cut and run. Right. Like everybody has a cut and run plan throughout this where it's like, you know, if we drop the nuke, it covers everything. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing. And there's the whole there's the whole which I think is like kind of a funny aspect of this movie in 2020. But the whole like voice confirming thing. Uh, yeah. And I love that the movie eventually does make a joke out of it. Like eventually the, the our, our favorite actor from the movie, the doctor, like starts yelling about the voice confirmed thing being like ridiculous. I was appreciated that the movie like knew it was ridiculous. But to your <laughs> this point, this is patently absurd. Right. To your I point, don't know if that's Dan, a line, but <laughs> they seem to have to confirm their voices up the chain, never down. Never down. Right. Always yeah. up. Never right. down. Ah, yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep, uh, it, the, the whole thing stinks of cut and run bureaucracy. Yeah, and you know, and like you, you understand the militaristic value of that, but like employed here, it's very nefarious when it's when it yes. is horribly abused. Yes, that is. Um, and when that was a uh, oh no shit. Okay, let me pull up my note. <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. Well, I, why, I while you're doing that, I wanted to quickly say that I know that um, this came out right in the middle of Watergate. I was looking up. So Watergate oh, was from 72 to 74, and this movie came out in March of 1973. So it was still, like, at least a full year before Nixon resigned. Wow. And, and you know, like, obviously the, the president, it's not like they call him Nixon or anything like that. But, you know, you basically assume at that point, I mean, that's Richard Nixon, basically. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the only person that that can be. 
Yeah, yeah. And Richard Nixon is, I want to have recordings of everybody else, and I want nobody to have anything of yeah. me that's not authorized. Yeah. It's that same only, you know, authorizations yeah. only going one direction. And I, the I whole a... idea, too, is, like, how can I how can I cover my ass? The whole, yeah. like, yeah. you know, and their whole plot about, okay, like, the first thing that they take care of is, all right, let's make a plot to to solve this problem in a way that protects us. Yeah. Like, okay, so this, so so the whole plot with, like, dropping the bomb, the radiation thing. They're just basically making a foolproof way to ever prevent the blame from like reaching their level. And that's like the number one priority. I feel like that's very, that's just like an all Nixon administration type of vibe. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like one of the things that's interesting about the movie is that like pretty much, there's like no hemming and hawing about it. Pretty much immediately, it's like accepted that there will be casualties. That's almost like built into the plan. It's like not a. There's never a question about like how do we prevent casualties. That's like we don't even start from there. You know what I mean? What a beautifully yeah. American idea of a system that says, "Hey, we need everybody in on this. Everybody together. We're a team. And if my back's against the wall and I have to sell you out, I will. Yeah. We're just gonna work up that list of things that can sell out. Yep. But we all gotta be in the team. You know. Yep. And, and almost immediately much. they start with that. Like the violence against others, just like. Like the violence almost like is happening within the first thirty minutes. Like they kill a cop, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, like just as soon so as quickly. It's time to cut and run. Yeah, like as soon as that first shot is fired, it's basically like, you know, like like it gets. It doesn't really escalate so much as it basically becomes almost an all-out war, like pretty quickly. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie is just like they're kind of basically trying to t- kind of cover their tracks a little bit, just basically just you know salvage what they can from this operation but the rest of it is just all at war mm, you yeah. know w- without much of a strategy at all other than just don't break the quarantine but but they also know like and then at the end they're like we always knew that somebody was going to get out of this <laughs> quarantine we've been planning yeah. for the whole time so it's like okay so then what was the point of this all to begin with like right you send us on this wild goose chase to quarantine this place but you always knew that it wasn't even going to work so what did all these people die for? You know, what, what yeah, was the yeah. point of any of this? And, yeah, and ultimately, right. the, the answer to that is is vanity. They died because right. everyone had to cover their ass. Yeah, which is a great Vietnam parallel for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, w- I wanted to, Dan, I know you have a point that's there oh, you're no, trying to bring good. up. I had one quick thing that was in there. Uh, the uh, I, It really made me laugh as they were doing the bureaucracy stuff that there was one point in the chain of command, which is not quite the top, but definitely not the bottom. And it was the guys at the radios that were just constantly eating sandwiches while they were discussing <laughs> what to do about all of this. They're like, they're not quite the top level, but they're not quite the bottom. And they have this luxury of being able to eat sandwiches while they discuss <laughs> yeah. how to handle this situation. Like the great chorus of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It really oh, made so me laugh. Funny. I love that. The um, I, Now you got me thinking about uh, the framing device for Burn After Reading. Yes, the yes. framing device for burn after reading is everybody who is one level above where we can cut and run. Yes, yes. And so, like, anytime they check in with um, uh, J.K. Oh. Simmons, I always want to fuck that up with with Rowling because they're the two J.K.s. <laughs> like uh, J.K. Simmons, the good one, um, <laughs> the the one who's nice. Yeah. Um, but can play mean uh, very well. Which is weird because 10 years ago you would have been like, oh, J.K. Rowling is the yeah. next one. Yeah. J.K. Simmons, <laughs> he plays mean characters. So. The mighty of fallen. He must be but mean. His thing is always just like, well, you know, if it gets up to our level, we'll take care of it. Yeah. 
back to the story. And like everybody wants to be in that position in this movie. Everybody's trying to be at that level of if we can control it at this level, yeah. we're good. Yeah. And you know, you guys are below this level, so you know, yeah, it's like the privilege graph kind of thing. But uh, the point that I wanted to bring up is one yes. of the things I loved about this movie is that it is committed almost entirely to keeping the uh, masks on the people. Yes. So we have hor- and so they function dually as like when it becomes a tower defense movie, they can become expendable villains for the fun of that in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but in smaller scenes, you know, these guys aren't voiceless. They speak, they, they, you know, they, they actually give them those characters. There's only the one scene that we see them without the masks. Right. And it's when they're like in the break room mm-hmm. and then our heroes come in and it's, it's great because they're both kind of middle of the road in terms of the, the, the value hierarchy here. Totally. Like these guys are just, you know, the military guys are just workers that are taking their orders today and, there's not much that they can do about it and the good guys are you know good guys mm-hmm. are you know some frustrated people that trust neither the town folk nor the government and they're here to assert for their their freedom or whatever it is <laughs> but but you know they're all just like a bunch of blue collar grunts and they all end up killing each other and i don't know that says everything to me right there mm-hmm. You it's know, a really sad scene when they. Yeah. The it's a really sad scene. scene. It's the one time we see their faces, and it's funny because that's what I feel like we are all culturally conditioned to do: is see right. people outside of our sphere as faceless, and then while we're all running around killing each other and bitching about stupid shit, we're getting fleeced by these, you know, very powerful, very rich people. Yeah. And so you're watching it happen here with these faceless guys. They suddenly are given a face, but it's too late. They end yeah. up killing yeah. each other and. Once again, for what? I mean, but that was such a cool choice in terms of being able to make a movie that is this dense and has this much of a running time by keeping the masks on those guys otherwise. Yeah. I, I, that was a really bold choice that I didn't know how it was going to play out. And only in that center point does it does it alter. Well, also, no. on, a, on a technical level, I, I wonder if it freed them up to do a lot of like dialogue insertion. Like I, I imagine yeah. that most of the... Um, and that's, that's where I kind of feel like they almost remind me of like star stormtroopers. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'd be surprised if George Lucas got the idea from the crazies, but it does, you know, guys who are, you know, head to toe in white, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, just running around with guns and speaking in like basically what sounds like almost like a radio uh, signal voice, you know? So yeah. it basically frees up a lot of, they can just record a bunch of ADR dialogue, you know, in like post-production and then like, you know, you can yeah, basically you can build your run story. around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, though, there was times though where it was really smartly done because there was there was guys were literally commenting as they were trying to shoot yeah. that they can't shoot because these fucking masks and they're you know, and, mm. and it wasn't just you know, Power Rangers <laughs> just <laughs> you know like, and so <laughs> they're like putties is what I'm just um, yeah. yeah th- so I, I think I think you're right. I think there is a lot of of building this movie like that. It's just smart, but um, I was impressed with just how well these guys were both characterized and not characterized. Well, they, um, I mean, that really felt cool and human. And I, you yeah. know, once again, led to that moment that was frustrating, but very true. Well, and there's that shot where, um, I can't remember who they end up killing, but they, they kill somebody and then throw their body into the basement 
onto a pile of the bodies of the the white suit guys. Do you guys know? Yeah. Do you guys know what? Yeah, I mean? it's the it's the father who was like who went crazy and tried to basically like rape his daughter. That's right. Yes, yes. They kill him. Oh yeah, Jesus. Yes, yeah. they kill but I him. Think he might kill himself. Like he when they when we find him, he's hanging. Sure. So yes. I, I don't yeah. know who kills him, but then they they dispose of the yeah, body. Yeah, you might be right. Way. But the, the shot I'm referring to is just like. You, it's such a sad thing with the kitchen where it's like they end up killing all these. Like you said, they finally get a face. They all get right. killed. But then we like pretty quickly cut to like the next stuff because it's like, well, this group is like our heroes. So like they're still like the protagonists that we're following through the movie. But then there's the shot later that reveals like, right, they still they had to then like take these bodies, pile them in the basement to like dispose. Like this is like an evil, horrible thing that's happening across the board you know it's like yeah, right it's right. just this horrible thing that's happening because dan as you described it they're all being fleeced by like everybody right. above this yeah. situation you know and that it's reminds all me all above Garrett, their pay grade it's yeah. almost like there's no one like it, that makes me think Garrett, like it's almost like there's no bad guys in this movie it's right. just everybody just do I, everyone's either doing their job or the the job that they get paid to do which is actually like a very thankless like fairly bureaucratic job that basically just involves taking orders and giving orders or they're trying to survive. And like, you know, and it's just like, no one is really not, you know, like, and then the president himself is even like just completely disengaged and removed. It's almost like nobody's making any choices anywhere. The only choices that are getting made are just, let's just keep this, you know, let's keep this human centipede uh, moving. You know, like that's the only point is just to keep, the train going, you know, and like, and that's a great Vietnam metaphor because if you look at Vietnam, like, I think what one, two, I think there were five U.S. presidents involved in Vietnam, and each one wanted to end the war, but they knew that they couldn't because if politically speaking, if they just pulled out and just pulled the plug in the whole thing, that would be political suicide. Mm-hmm. So it's just basically they all keep it going, not because it makes any damn sense at all, but because. To, to not do it would be, you know, I guess like, you know, politically, politically, unex- you know, political suicide, basically. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, I mean, uh, so I I agree with you because I hear what you're saying, but I, I think to to maybe uh, uh, dig into and, and maybe more appropriately phrase some of those things. There are definitely villains in this movie, but they're not they're not necessarily the stormtroopers. They're not necessarily the guys on the ground with the guns that are, in fact, killing innocent people around this town. Right. Um, the 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 real villains are the people above that are sort of creating this chaos in order to really just cover their own tracks and not have to commit their own versions of political suicide. Right. Um, but then I think there are further arguments you could make about like, oh, but then does 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 the stormtrooper have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to understand that they you know this is a system that they've been put blah 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 but other arguments to be made about like no but it is a system that has ingratiated them to perform and act in this way and in this manner you know so but yeah. I, and so i think what that becomes then to me this movie mostly represents like these these like these systems of control that are as vast as basically a government like ours are just bad it's too many layers of bureaucracy for it to be anything other than an unstoppable machine. Cause there's just so many moving parts that everything's trying to cover the other thing to keep the other thing up and running to, do you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. it, it can only it's benefit like a starfish. itself. One side gets lopped off and the rest just moves on without it. Yeah. Rah. 
It's just not Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its own tail. I think I think that's what I meant to say. Instead of the human centipede, I was like, oh, it's Ouroboros. <laughs> well, you know, same thing. And yeah. what, when you said human centipede, and then you said you got to keep the train running, the image uh, associating with the word train oh, is really uh, God, it, no. it conjured a lot in me. <laughs> that's a brutal combination of words, right and there. Boy, am I hungry! No. Um, <laughs> man, what did you guys think sense. about how like? like fast this movie was because i feel like that's the thing that stood out to me most watching it again was like this just goes it's a and lot does not of movie. stop yes. it does not stop and it's an hour and 43 minutes so you know yep. it's not it's not long but it's not exactly short either and it just, I, they pack it a just lot goes of and goes i would my yes. literal first note is this has an insane edit because yes. right off the bat that first scene is cut 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 anytime a character moves their head it gives the 180 and it it, it doesn't maintain that that throughout the movie but like yep. it's a movie that has a lot of of high energy cutting to it but not yep. in an obtrusive way it man i yeah that that got me right on board I, dude i'm with you like i i have a feeling that had i seen this for, for when i was younger I would have thought this was like a sloppy movie of some kind because it really moves at a rapid pace that doesn't always feel like it's working on the kind of logic that we are now, I think, all very accustomed to in like modern movie editing mm -hmm. and storytelling. Um, but I think in the context of this movie is like brilliant. It like yeah. it it's moving so fast. But in that way that, again, the last six months have felt yeah. where it's just like. Things there, dominoes are just constantly falling. There's always, and when one more falls, it, it's that domino thing where like one triggers three more, and then each of those trigger three more, and then each of those. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you're living in it, it's like it's all happening so fast that it feels like a blur, but is also very rapid. And this yeah. movie like really nails that. Yeah, and, and it's so arresting, kind of in 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 that. Uh, and then, I, yeah. I, I was very like, like pinned to my couch by this movie, you know? Yeah. And in that sense, it really mimics like um, I wrote in my review a few years ago that it's like, you know, you could call it a docu realist approach or a docudrama. So it really plays like a documentary, like, you're, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's meant to basically, you know, it's meant to capture almost like, you know, like you like it's being filmed by someone who's in the middle of this whole thing. Right. And there's just so much to capture that, you know, there, there's not like a lot of like long, there's no like frame of this movie that maybe like one or two frames of this movie that you could capture and be like, ah, art, you know, like the whole thing just move. Like you said, it's just so many, so many 180 shots and like just moves so damn quickly that you're meant to, it's meant to be a pretty breathless experience. Yeah. I think on a scene to scene basis too, it like kind of, this is going to sound so stupid, but I'll try to describe it right. I hate when a movie uh, doesn't check in on each set of characters in the right order or right pace. <laughs> so you start to lose the when of it all. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, like we're uh, not, not the movie that everyone wants to reference, but like the very end of the Phantom Menace is yes. great at this. Yes. It's great at this, yes. but like to maintain that throughout a movie and like, you know, with things like, you know, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, that's something that Romero is, like, very good at. But I, I think this is actually the best I've seen him do it. Because it, breathless is the word. Because anytime they check in with someone, I go, oh, yes, I remember where we left off with them. Right. And I'm very curious to see what's happening now. Yeah. And then, you know, and 
it's just they they do everything. Hello, sorry, the cat's yelling. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah. It, Dan, that's interesting that you bring that up because I do. That is one of those things that I imagine is kind of the the brilliant trick that editors are pulling on us that we don't realize. Except that you can feel it when it's wrong. You can feel a movie when when it's not bringing you back into stories at the right, or when it's bringing you into stories too rapidly, or whatever. Yes, you you can feel when that is wrong, and it really does hurt a movie when that's wrong. But when it's really right, you don't even totally re, you know it's just you just go through the movie, you know, like you just skate through the movie, like and this movie has that where like you're so arrested by the sort of immediacy of it all. But as you're as you are suggesting, Dan, and I think you're right on. It's like it's so smooth, though, in the way that it it brings you through all of that rapid sort of storytelling. It it really it knows exactly when to bring you in and out of each of these little stories that we're, we're following. It reminded me a lot of my like favorite movie to have stumbled across in a long time, The Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Yes, um, that's another one. Uh, like it, it's we are watching like kind of a bunch of adjacent procedures happening, you know, yeah. we're watching little procedurals. Just one is, you know, the podunk fight back crew. The one is the military. <laughs> the one's the higher up military. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. Have the in. Well, that's all right. Yeah, you, and you got a lot of people who look the part. You got, you know, you don't have any like glamorous movie stars in it. You just got, you know, like, you know, folks who seem like they would have those jobs. And and I like that those three guys. You know, the only guys who we see with their it's pretty sad like the guys who get killed that without the masks on like they're so young like they're basically you know they're like 20 years old or something like that like Mm -hmm. you know and and that's who we were sending to vietnam right like that's who we Mm -hmm. were that's that's who went over there to to go get shot and like you know but but it's just exactly like taking a pelham one two three it's like these are the people you know who would be doing these this work yeah yeah, a bunch of real fucking Pennsylvanians is what exactly. you're suggesting. Yep. <laughs> real yes, fucking Pennsylvania Yankees. Just a bunch of Yanks. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I actually like that Romero's movies like consistently don't have stars. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that that is a smart move. Um, Dude. His, even at his height when he probably could have commanded some celebrity, the fact that he's just always dealing with just like workman actors um, yeah. always suits the, you know, like the good old hardworking Pennsylvanian getting away from some flesh-eating beasts. Well, like, even the the guy that's like the main character in this movie, the, the black guy that's like the main military yeah. guy that gets dropped in, I looked him up, and he doesn't have like a huge career or anything, you know? Like, he, I and I thought he would because he's such a good actor. It's like he, Romero gets like legitimately great casts that are just a lot of unknowns, kind of, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you ever see uh, Monkey Shines? I have not. I really want to see that. That's a good one. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, I think it was the Ebert review that said, like, there's a, in this two hour, you know, movie, there's, there's a 90 minute masterpiece. So it's like one of those, but like, yep. it's fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking wild. But no, I wanted to mention, I watched Martin earlier this week. Oh, yeah, I've never seen um, that either, and I've heard that's very good. Great show. Martin Lawrence is hilarious. Um, <laughs> the Shaniqua character. No, um, the, uh, no, it, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know if I should say where you can see Martin, um, but I watched Martin earlier, and one of the things uh, about Martin that struck me is I was watching it, and I'm going, oh, it, this is like sort of an art house film. 
the way that, that it's structured and the way that he employs surrealism. And I was like, I've always thought of Romero as an innovator in terms of concept and in yeah. terms of craft and things like that. But I never thought of him as in terms of like an innovator as like the, you know, this visual artistry. Yeah. And so having watched Martin, I think on Monday and then watching the crazies last night, it was, you know, I was watching all these little techniques going, oh, he's doing all of these kind of flowery things that don't read as that. And that is why we have that piece. Yeah. I love that about, I, I love Martin. I'm a, I, Martin is just, it he's was the only reason why Martin isn't uh, the best George Romero film is because Night of the Living Dead also exists. Um, <laughs> and it, it's just, it's such a, and I feel like Martin and the crazies are what in my mind, the fact that he made these two like very incredible, like low budget indie production movies that, like outside of his main, like most famous trilogy is to me, that's kind of what cements like Romero is like my favorite horror director. It's just that he could really, I mean, I mean, Martin, I just don't have enough amazing things to say about it. And what it really sticks with me though, is the ending of Martin and it's mm -hmm. similar. And I want to, don't want to give it up for Garrett, but it's like, Thank you. let's just say it's a gut punch of an ending yeah. and, and similar is the ending of this movie. And I would say the endings yeah. of pretty much all of George Romero movies where there's no such thing as a happy ending in a George Romero film. Like at best, it's a well, we survived, we didn't die, but we'll probably be dead by this time next year. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, tomorrow is another so, day. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go with it. We don't know what the future holds, but you know, we survived this round. That's the absolute best you can hope for in a George Romero film. And worse is something like this, where you know, like the the only real character who actually like you know makes it out of this one is you know the commander who. His reward is simply just yeah, go doing do it again, doing it all over again, <laughs> yeah. which is which is so per it's such a perfect commentary on like the military. When he gets that call at the end, I distinctly yeah. remember looking at my screen and being like, "Oh fuck you!" <laughs> <laughs> I like I thought for sure this movie was going to end with them dropping a nuke on this little town. Yeah, and, same. and instead they just like dropped a nuke on this guy's life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it just was like way more focused on this one dude. And, and they treat it like a reward. Man. You're like, oh, this is a reward yeah. for you. Like you right. did such a good job. You have been rewarded by you're doing this. You're going to Louisville now to do this all over again. But it's going to be much worse because it's an actual big American city. Like, yeah. but you know what? And Great job. You're only giving this because you did so well here. And and fifth and by so well here, quote unquote. I mean that like a third of the population of this town is dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so like a good job, and that also just brings us to the modern day. This, you know, just on the town hall last night with Trump saying, "We've done an amazing job. We've done such a good job. Two hundred, two hundred and ten thousand people have died from the coronavirus, and to him, that's an amazing job, you know." And yeah, so there you go. Yeah, it. I, I, I mean that to me, I, I. I'm happy to keep talking about this movie, but that is my entire thought on this movie was just like, everyone should watch this movie right now. I don't think it's got answers necessarily, but it was weirdly cathartic to like watch a movie that really, I, I, I just hit me on such an emotional level of like, this really is what this is like. Like I don't, I actually felt less crazy watching the crazies <laughs> because I, it was just like, right, this is what this feels like. This is. And, 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 and he looked, yeah. He I'm locates not, like sorry, Garrett. Just like I'm not wrong to be afraid of the things I'm afraid of in the midst of this. Yeah, right? not at all. Which, you're not which, you're not crazy, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. 
and and <laughs> I like that he locates the humanity within, like e- like I think that's one thing that Romero does so well. Like in in every in each of those three, you know, dead movies and Martin and the crazies, like he always locates a real like sense of humanity within the film. Like like that scene, I kind of want to talk about that scene at the end with what are we going to name the baby? Like, I mean, that just ripped me apart, you know? Oh like, yeah. Right, right. As she is, you know, expiring and, you know, a pregnant woman dying in like her husband's arms saying, yeah. what are we going to name the baby as, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah. holy shit. Like, you know, you don't, you don't merely make time for that in other B movie schlock of the time. Like right, that's just, right. that's just really, that just like rips your fucking heart out basically. That's the key, man. You can you can rip literal hearts out, and it's fun <laughs> and well and good. But like, if I don't care whose heart it is, yeah, it's, uh, it's just not as compelling. Yeah. Still fun. Rip <laughs> all the hearts, <laughs> um, Kalima. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would like to care. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, so check uh, my notes. If I, I was gonna say, what do we, what do we got bunch. further? Because I would say maybe we got like ten, fifteen more minutes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one one other thing I was gonna say that I like about the stormtroopers is that, and it's in another parallel to Vietnam, it's not that they are each very competent because a lot a lot of them get killed, but the yeah. only the advantage that they have is just that there's a shitload of them. Like yeah. every time they get it's rid a war of, of like, attrition, oh, exactly. Like every time yeah. they like mow down a platoon of these guys, there's just another one coming around yeah. the corner. Yeah. And so it's not that like these citizens aren't doing their best, but they're like. They just can't, you know, they just don't have enough people. Like, it's yeah. just, it's, it's pretty, it's like you said, it's a war of attrition. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I uh, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Oh, no, uh, I, there was one moment that I really liked, and it's when, uh, the science guy and the assistant lady, they're working together, and she's like, you know, what are the, what are the odds that, 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 you know, we're going to get out of this, like something like that. And he looks at his slide, and he looks at her and he goes, would you marry me? Yeah. And then her response, though, is she reads it, or cho- you can tell she chooses to read it. Let me say it the other way. He delivers it as a, we're all about to die, so we might as well just get married, you and me. Yeah. But she, t- she like, kind of throws it back at him without throwing it back at him and takes it in the sense of, you want to get married because you're ready to have a nice long life together. Thanks. And like, it was a really nice moment of her having hope and just like having a little bit of will in the midst of all this that I I just found really moving. And it was a great moment that used the skills of big doctor, man. (laughs) Would you marry me? Like that was delicious pizza. Dan, write down big doctor man on your whiteboard. That's a great premise for like an adult swim cartoon we could write. (laughs) Big doctor man. He's the biggest doctor. Yeah. He's before I had this idea back in the day of doing like a, a like a really well produced short gangster drama. And they're <laughs> always talking about making the big money. The big money. But like whoever has the big money just has like literally like larger money. And so it just everything would be played straight, except like the guy with the biggest money in town, like his dollar bills would be like you could put them in like a shoebox. <laughs> like they're they're pretty big, and so that would be. But I, I have nowhere to put that, so it's out there now. Yeah, you that, can have it. If I may, that could be a Kirk Rigger storyline, uh, where he's got he's got to retrieve the big money, and then the joke at the end is that he's retrieving the literal biggest money. 
That's pretty good. Yeah. Ooh, I like. Okay. Something Thank like you. that. I yeah. just made a note. That's good. Yeah. And wait, I have to kick the cat out of my room. The other <laughs> thing is, I watched. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I watched um, Death Dream earlier this week. Yeah. Also, as part of that collection on Criterion, and yeah. um, that's another one that is like, you know, that one much more directly is very angsty about what we now think about things because of having lived through Vietnam. Right. And, um, right. It was interesting that this one sort of like. You know, whereas the crazies was very concerned with the larger implication of like, you know, of these these powerful people, the bureaucracies below them, and the fact that they can turn you into this faceless cog into a machine, and then like Death Dream was more about like the idea of like, let's say you fall out of this broken part of the machine, like what are what are you now? And it speaks mm-hmm. about the soldiers more directly, and so as like companion pieces. I, I guess I'm just applauding Criterion's uh, uh, programming yeah. because these two really worked well together as like a one-two punch of Definitely. what we were thinking about. You know, I say we before I was born, but what the culture was thinking about immediately after Vietnam, and you know, all of the different areas that it could affect our thought in response to the yeah. government, in the response to our own children, in response. You know, it's. That's such a yeah. huge, crazy conversation that I always forget had such weight. Because um, I think Vietnam, I'm like, oh yeah, that's where Bubba died in Forrest Gump, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, but then you, you know, you watch, you know, and, and all the presidents, man, you yeah. watch a, uh, you know, a platoon, and you watch these things, and it's you just start to contextualize it more. Uh, you mean Vietnam, the uh, that radio show that Robin Williams hosted? <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> so, dude, Vietnam is so funny. <laughs> Oh, so hilarious. They're all out. Why I was I'm glad you brought that up, Dan, because I was I I was thinking the same kind of thing. And like what I what I love about this movie and Death Dream and like last I think like other movies that from what I understand are kind of part of the like uh you know early 70s uh basically like the B movie Vietnam canon. It's like also like the last house on the left um rolling thunder if you guys have never seen it is definitely like required viewing um and like so these are all movies and even night of the living dead too like these are all movies that these are all very much b movies that um they're kind of like drive-in grindhouse movies that were made on the cheap that actually dealt with vietnam but like other than you know mash i can't really think of like a big Hollywood movie that really dealt with Vietnam until like the late seventies when you got like coming home or the deer hunter. And at mm. that point, so it's kind of like cheap in a way when you think about Hollywood, it's almost like they sat out of the conversation altogether until like a few years after the war it ended. And then it was pretty clear that it was the main narrative was starting to be that, Oh, this was a bad war that we shouldn't have fought. Mm. You know what I mean? But like, but they kind Are of, you trying to tell me, that Hollywood is disingenuous. <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe I am. But like, if it, but so they I left it up to B movies to basically right. actually comment on them while yeah. it was happening. Like these movies all proceeded, and even Mash, like you know, that's not. A, I mean, that's a comedy, right? You know, it's, it might be Robert Altman, but at the end of the day, it's a dark comedy. So, so it was left to like genre films, exploitation films, and comedies to actually like say something to Americans about like what was actually happening at the time, and then. You know, 1978, you know, in swoops the Academy to, you know, like, be, this was a terrible war, guys. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> where, for that. where were you like eight years ago? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. I never thought about it that way, but I guess that's like kind of a repeating pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it is sort of the and this is an aggressive term, but it is sort of the underground that tends to try and suss out how we collectively feel about it first mm-hmm. by being a little more, you know, dangerous exactly. about it or risky about it, we'll say. And then when it becomes like, you know, like you said, a, a more safer narrative and something that we are all kind of on the same page about, we can get the the prestige. <laughs> you you can kind of say almost that like something like the Devil's Rejects was was the last house on the left, but for the war in Iraq, you know, or for nine eleven. It's like it's like I never okay, here's that, a... but I'm immediately accepting it because I want the world to love that movie <laughs> as much as I do, and I'm in. I'm all well, yeah. Well, it's like it's like this is what happens when okay, so these. This trio of of maniacs does absolutely horrendous things that are unforgivable, and then is the revenge that takes place against them. Is that you know? Is that I mean, of course, there's like sort of a false equivalency at play there. However, there's sort of yeah. this theme. There's this theme of revenge that mm-hmm. that that permeates that film that I think is. I mean, it came out in 2005, so I'm just going to go ahead and say that you know that's the mood that we were in at the time. Absolutely. And you know, and that's you know that's a good six years before, seven years before Zero Dark Thirty came out. So there you go. Yeah, that's insane. So B movies and genre films they get to the point a lot quicker than Godless Hollywood does. That's all I'm going to say. Right now, my thing is glitching out. And so Garrett's completely frozen, but the way he's glitched out looks exactly like the monster from Sinister. I was and about to say the same cool. exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucked up, Garrett. You looked like the fucking guy from Sinister. Yeah. And he would show up in a Zoom, in a the Skype or whatever, right? Wasn't that part he of Sinister's powers? Is I that have you, like, being pictures and stuff? a Sinister. Oh, I saw the first one. It's pretty good, good. man. Yeah, Sinister's cool. I don't know about the yeah, second one. The first one's good. Yeah, yeah I haven't uh, seen the second. Yo, I, uh, facial hair means I disappear into Zoom calls. Like, if I just fully close my mouth, I won't have a face anymore. That's so funny. Oh, yep, look at that. You're like That's happening Batman. right now. That's happening. Yeah. I don't see your mouth. Oh, my Pretty God. Well. Pretty yeah, well. the way you glitched, was it looked exactly like the Sinister <laughs> guy. <laughs> it did. Yeah, that's so crazy. Uh, you know what? I'll tell you what. I, uh, I'm supposed to review May the Devil Take You 2. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize emo... that was a sequel. To May the Devil Take You. So I watched May the Devil Take You on Netflix the other night. That movie, you know, like, it's it's pretty wild and out there. And, like, the plot's, like, I wouldn't say convoluted, but it's, like, a little too much. But it's, like, there was a couple moments where I got, like, those big, deep, like, belly fears where I was like, whoa. Because the imagery was so fucking, I mean, it's Timo Tejanto. He's not afraid of pretty aggressive imagery. Did he make the first one, too? He did. Oh, I didn't uh, wrote know that. and directed. I didn't know that either. And and honestly, to tell you the truth, I signed on to review that movie just assuming it was a karate movie. Right. And um, it is very much not. But uh-huh. um, you know, he also co-directed that uh, VHS two segment. Right. And uh, the night comes for us is very much a horror a horror movie, karate movie. Yeah. Um, I'd be happy to call it horror. And um, so yeah, it's like it's him doing like a. You know, a de- devil possession conjuring, you know, kind of kitchen sink imagery movie. Yeah. But it's effective and it's it's good. All I right. liked it a lot. There's a couple it's things that are Netflix. scary. I'll about watch it. that. Yeah. Watch May that. the devil take you. Good stuff. Right. Do you have any other thoughts about the crazies? Well, I was going to ask you guys. Well, I want to ask you one thing, which Please. is where would you rate it in George Romero's filmography? 
Well, mm. no. So I this is a tough question for me because I believe Andy that I may have own this may be the only non of the dead movie I've seen of Rare. There you go. I'm, I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look into it real quick here while we talk. But I think yeah, I, like I, there's I a lot of holes. Oh no, okay. I just watched a season of Witch as well. Okay, uh, was so that good? I, I want to watch that. I liked season of the Witch. Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It's also, okay, so it's another one that has a different title when you watch your criteria, and it is Hungry Wives. <laughs> oh, I love it. Go to that title. It's an epically great movie, I think. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely plan to watch that as part of that yeah. Criterion programming. Because like I've seen Martin, I've seen Bruiser, I've seen uh, all of the Of the Deads. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know where these would rank, because I've seen a fair amount of Romero. I, I am, and I was saying this when you stepped away from the from the screen there, Andy, I'm a real big Monkey Shines fan. Yeah, Monkey Shines is really good. That's a good movie. Um, and that's, like, my kind of movie. So, like, even though it's, like, kind of bloated and imperfect, it's, like, yeah, probably my favorite Romero to watch. Yeah. I, I think but, that Garrett would love Monkey Shines. Yeah. So I, think, oh, yeah. I think he'd be obsessed with it, honestly. And well, I think that the uh, if I were to pick my favorite Romero though that I have seen, I honestly this could be a contender, but I'd have to see it a couple more times. I think off yeah. the top of my head, it's probably Day of the Dead. I love Fair. Day of the yeah. Dead. Fair. I mean, yeah, for me, this is just I, top five. This five. is yeah, Day of the Dead for me. Love Day of the Dead. Oh, right on. Really, really like that movie, but I—I I mean, yeah, I, I like—I—I I like the of the dead movies, but Day and Dawn are great, and the other ones I've seen are good. Um, uh, so this probably ranks pretty high for me um, among what I've seen of his stuff, because this I just thought was so effective and you know, yeah, yep. strange and thrilling to watch right now. You know, yeah, yeah. this came at the right time. Y'all seen Bruiser? Never. What's Bruiser? Y'all see no, it's like I don't know that one. It's like one of his cheap late '90s or early 2000s. I forget. Uh, like very cheap one, where uh, a guy wakes up one day and just magically has a like a just like a a mask as his face that makes him anonymous, mm. and so he's able to kill with abandon. Um, I remember it being a much cooler sounding movie than it was, but I was also 15. But uh, hey, it's something that always stuck with me. Tom Atkins is in it. Jason Fleming, Peter Stormare. Seems nice. Oh my! Yeah. Wow, Tom Atkins and Peter Stormare. That's a that's yeah. A, that's big. That's a duo. Yeah. I would like to watch it again because I was like 15 and I remember being like, "Oh, cool, neat." But um, I bet there's probably more to it. But I just always laugh because no one thinks about Bruiser. And it's <laughs> yeah. like a movie no. I've seen. And it's fun to be like, "Y'all seen Bruiser?" Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's close this baby out here, my friends. Let's do it. I think yeah. we can do that. Um, Got some dinner on the stove. Let's do it. Do I have anything else? Uh, I think Andy, that what... uh, everyone should watch Death Dream. That's that's the only thing. Yeah. I'm oh, I am going to watch that this week. I think. Yeah. It's gnarly, man. You will dig yeah. the shit out of it. It freaked it like freaked me out pretty hardcore. Right. Cool. For yourself, your wares, your band, all your things. Yeah, so uh, my name is Andy Elijah once again. You can email me at andyelijah at gmail.com. I'm on Letterboxd with that same title. Um, 
my Twitter is a little different, Andrew Matthias E, but, um, you know, like you can find me there. Um, yeah, I'm friends with Garrett and Dan on there. And, um, I've got a piece coming out next week for cinema 76 on it's a Jalo primer. Um, I still got a lot of work to do on it. So uh, I'm going to like be cramming. Um, and I love Jalo films, but boy, are they slow. So they're kind of hard to watch at home. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're kind of hard to watch at home sometimes because they're just yeah. so like, yeah, it, the not Argento ones just sort of crawl a little bit for me, even though they are very beautiful. But yeah, like seeing them at, at home is not exactly ideal. So I'm going to work on that. Um, so yeah, look out for that. And uh, that's it. Yeah. So Dude, a little tip. I, I agree on that giallo front sometimes, but you know what I found is the best time to watch a giallo film? After you eat too much. Because <laughs> then you just sit there and you're like, yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Demons. Demons in a church. <laughs> I'll make stuff. sure that I eat a huge plate of spaghetti before I watch it. <laughs> yeah. And you just be like, that dog. His dog's biting people. <laughs> I actually That's watched red. like uh, 20 minutes of What Have You Done to Solange this morning. Like I, I wake up pretty early every day. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll just watch What Have You Done to Solange. But I watched 20 minutes of it and then went back to bed for an hour and a half. <laughs> so, uh, so that that's how that's going for me. <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, well, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Philadelphia. That's with an F. And uh, you can find the show everywhere at I Like to Movie. It's numeric two. Uh, and uh, look us up on YouTube. We've got some uh, uh, fun episodes up there. Yes, uh, check out the YouTube, all that stuff at Dan Scully on all the things. Letterboxd, Twitter. Check out cinema76.com. I just got finished covering Nightstream, which was really awesome. Um, did a bunch of stuff. There was Salem and Fantas- I didn't write anything about Fantastic because I just watched. Um, and I'll be doing the Philly Film Fest kind of at Cinema 76 and Findy. So check that out. And if you want to hear some goofy shit, you can listen to Hot Property, my other show, uh, which you can find on Spotify. I'll be doing Philadelphia Film Festival too, so nice. look out for that. I think we're we'll doing a potential video next week or something like that, right? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> something. Something's happening. Well, my name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. My name is Andy Lodge, and I like to movie movie. Well, that's you. You like, like to movie, 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 mov